Good morning. Welcome to World Mission Sunday. You just saw a video from Back to Back Ministries, our partner in World Missions. Um, quick question, how many missionaries do we have with us today? Yeah, we got a couple out there. Well, I'm, I prepared this message on World Missions, so we're going to hear about it anyway. My name is Jared Bush. I've had the honor of serving as one of the elders here at River Rock Bible Church for the past two and a half years. I've also had the honor of serving with a team of men and women that have been given the task of creating a missions organization right here at River Rock. I know not all of them are here with us today, but for those of you that are, I'd like you to stand up and be recognized. Bill, that's you, Devin. Um, We started gathering uh, several months ago, and what I first noticed is that these men and women all had a passion for world missions. Well, that sometimes creates a problem, because when you're passionate about something, you have your own idea of what that something is going to look like. And we all had different ideas of who we would partner with, what this mission program would look like, what our focus would be. But as we gathered and we prayed and we asked God where he would have us serve, he brought us together, he unified us as a group, and he gave us direction. And he brought us into contact with back-to-back ministries. Um, They provide orphan care around the world, and we've specifically chosen Mazatlan, Mexico, to be our focus what Back to Back doesn't do is go into different areas and, and build orphanages from the, from the scratch, from the ground up, and start an orphanage. What they do do is they find orphanages that are already existing, that are being run by local people, and they stand back to back with them to help support these missions that are already there. They don't want to take a kid, an orphan, and bring them in and give them a place to live and food and clothing for a few years and then send them back out the same way they found them. They provide holistic care to these children, Their idea is to build them up as disciples of Jesus Christ while they're under their care, to empower them, to equip them, and then to send them out into their neighborhoods to impact the world around them. That's what Back to Back Ministries does, and we're excited to partner with them long-term, and we're going to be sending a team of uh, mission team out to to help support them in July. Um, There's still some spaces available, so if you'd like to sign up for that, um, you can sign up in the sheet on the back. We're going to support them financially, and we're going, to, we're going to commit to praying for them, to pray for the people that are there in long-term ministry, and to pray for the orphans, that they'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be changed through relationship with him. Um, if you're new today, um, I'm not the lead pastor of River Rock Bible Church, so don't, don't write us off just yet. Um, Pastor Charlie does a great job of shepherding the church, and he does a great job of teaching every Sunday morning. I'm a physician assistant by trade. Um, I've been practicing orthopedics for the past 13 years. I can barely believe I'm that old. Um, If you didn't know, the book of of Acts was written by Luke. Luke is a physician. Um, Pretty sure he wasn't an orthopedic surgeon. He writes in complete sentences. He doesn't end every sentence with, bone broke, must fix. It's a little little orthopedic humor for you. Some of you will get it. Um, I've been married to my wife, Devin, for eight years. She's here with us today. Um, we moved to, to the Austin area about eight and a half years ago from Denver. Um, four and a half years ago, um, if you put up the picture of the boys, or uh, just a few years ago, we were blessed with uh, these two. The older one is Quinn, and that's Asher. Those are our boys, um, and a bundle of energy. Um, and uh, you're probably wondering what I'm doing up here talking about world missions. Well, I've got a passion for missions, and that passion started... Um, on my very first mission trip that I went on. And that trip was in 2010. Um, an earthquake struck um, the Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, at the time, the earthquake struck, I was agnostic, which means 
Um, you believe in something that created the earth and something that created people, but you don't believe in a specific God and you're definitely not going to follow a specific God. So I went with a team of medical personnel and we went to provide care um, to some people that were damaged in the earthquake. And what I saw while on this trip changed my view of life and of God and the world we live in completely. Um, the people there, if you'll put up the picture of Malane, um, this is a picture that I keep on my wall in my kitchen. And I look at it every day because I saw something in that woman. You notice she only has one leg. And it's because a medical team went the week before and, and took her leg and then it got infected. And we were there and we took some more of her leg. And, um, but the strength and the peace that these people had in the presence of the suffering that was there. You see, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It means the majority of the people there are living on less than a dollar a day. And when you live in such extreme poverty, every day you're walking on a fine line between life and death. And you don't have the capacity to withstand the most minor disasters that pop up in your life, let alone a major catastrophe like this. Um, But as we showed up and we saw the people line up outside the clinic every day, hoping um, to get care, they were singing songs. They weren't singing to God asking him for help. They weren't blaming him for their circumstances. They were praising the presence of a God in these circumstances. You see, at that time, I was in a very dark place in my life. My marriage had failed. I was isolating myself from those who loved me. I was suffering from depression and I was in despair. The walls of my life were crumbling down around me like the walls of Haiti had crumbled down. But while I was being crushed by despair, these people were rejoicing in the presence of a God who would never fail them, even in the worst of times. A God that loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. Second to last night, I was laying alone in my tent and I couldn't sleep. I had a million things going through my mind. I didn't want to go back to my life in the United States. I was trying to figure out and contemplate what I had seen when I felt this sudden and unexplainable rush of peace and joy come over me. In that moment, there was no explanation for it. I felt the presence of God. So I pulled myself to my knees and I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Um, It was the same God that I'd been taught about as a child, the same God I'd been running from my whole life, the same God I couldn't fully understand or trust until I saw his presence in those people that week. When I came back home, I found a local church and I decided to learn more about that God and to follow him closer. And through that process, I, I developed that own strength and that own peace and that own joy in my own life. My marriage was healed. The rest of my life was healed. Other areas of my life were healed. And that's where my passion for world missions began. For those of you that have been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that Pastor Charlie has been taking us through the book of Acts. When he first started preaching a few weeks ago, he mentioned transitions that we've seen in the Bible. See, in the Gospels, Jesus was physically with the disciples. He was walking with them and eating with them and teaching them. And then he died on the cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And in Acts, he transitioned to heaven, and he sent them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He talked about the transition of how the Holy Spirit is gifted to people. In the beginning of Acts, you see he ascended on a whole group of people, and they spoke in tongues. It was an amazing thing. And then it transitioned to to the Holy Spirit being gifted by the laying on of hands, And today we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ. 
Today, as we dig into Acts 13, we're going to see another major transition. We're going to see a shift from Peter to Paul. We're going to see a shift from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch in the missionary thrust. We're going to see the church going about its rightful business of carrying the gospel to Jews and Gentiles across the world. That focus carries out throughout most of the New Testament, right? Many of the books of the New Testament are simply letters written by Paul, a church-planting missionary to churches that he helped plant throughout the world. Now, can any of you argue that God doesn't care about world missions if he spends so much focus of the Bible on it? There's a, there's a quote by Nina Gunter that says it well. It says, if you take missions out of the Bible, you won't have, won't have anything left but the covers. All right, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever that is, you can follow along. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they came down to Seleucia, And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Now, the first main point that I'm going to pull out of this that is immediately seen is the call to world missions comes directly from God. It comes directly from God through the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, we here, we're not trying to just put a shiny new badge and a new ministry on our church because we're trying to get credibility The leaders of the church in Antioch weren't suffering from low attendance. They didn't say, man, what are we going to do to get excitement around here? I know, let's put up a bouncy house. Let's get some smoke machines and lasers for the worship show and let's send Barnabas and Saul off on a mission trip. That'll get excitement around here. No, the Holy Spirit broke in and he told them what to do. Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. The Holy Spirit spoke. He doesn't give recommendations. He doesn't give good ideas. How many times in the Bible do you see Jesus giving a good suggestion? No, he gave commands. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. How did the Holy Spirit speak to them? You think it was an audible, booming voice that came throughout the church? You think a donkey meandered up and gave him a message? Ever since I saw Shrek, that picture's ruined. I keep, that's what I think of when I see that. It says there were prophets and teachers. Do you think it was a revelation through one of the prophets? I'm inclined to think that these people were actively seeking the voice of the Holy Spirit because they recognized their need for God's direction in their work. No doubt they were burdened by the thought that many had never heard of Jesus Christ and his salvation. And they were actively seeking the voice of the Holy Spirit. That brings up my second point. Look what the church is doing. They're actively seeking the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing passive about what they were doing as they were waiting to hear from God. They weren't sitting around telling stories. They weren't joking about who won the last chariot race and what was going on there. No, they were gathered together 
as the body of Christ, they were fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord, actively seeking the voice of the Holy Spirit. When I say minister to the Lord, the mean to minister, the word to minister means to serve the state at one's own cost. And here it says specifically to the Lord. So these men and women were serving the Lord at their own cost, at the cost of their own lives. We think of the Levitical priests, right? The nation of Israel, God set the Levites apart from the rest of the nation of Israel to give their lives up to the ministry of the Lord. They didn't even get land in the inheritance. They didn't get what the, other, the rest of the tribe of Israel got, right? Their inheritance was God. That's what they were doing. They weren't doing churchy things because they were expected to do churchy things. They weren't putting up an outward appearance while being disobedient to God in their hearts. They were honoring God as holy and obeying them and obeying him with their hearts. So you have a church, they're praying, they're fasting, they're serving God at their own cost and the Holy Spirit breaks in and he tells them what to do. How many of you here today are seeking the call of the Holy Spirit in a particular ministry? How many of you are trying to find your purpose in life? There's a book by Rick Warren. It's called A Purpose-Driven Life. It's a great book. I'm not knocking it at all. We, we had a group of men go through a discipleship study here just a few months ago on A Purpose-Driven Life, and I've seen men changed by this study. Um, 32 million copies of it were sold. 32 million One book on this topic, How to Find Your Purpose in Life. I think it's safe to say that there are a number of people out there that are struggling to find their purpose in life. But where are we looking? Are we looking to books? Are we asking our families, our coworkers? Are we Googling it? That's okay. But are we seeking God? Are we actively seeking the call of the Holy Spirit? Are we seeking the author of our lives? Another thing that isn't specifically written here, but I'll note, that I've noticed and I want to point out, that they were actively involved in the ministry of the church. The church in Antioch was a church plant. You don't have to be around a church plant very long before somebody asks you to help out, right? Hey, can you help with the setup team? Can you help tear down afterwards? We've got a spot in children's ministry for you. I myself serve in the toddler's room, right? That's because that's how the church is designed to work is designed to work with the involvement of each and every one of us. As far as I can tell, the church in Antioch was a thriving and successful church. It's because it had the involvement of each and every one of them, just like the church requires the involvement of each and every one of us today. A lot of you here have families. You've got husbands, wives, children. Picture this. You're at home. Your spouse comes home from a long day at work. The house is a mess. The children are... Who knows where they are, running off in the streets somewhere. There's no dinner on the table. You're laying on the couch watching ESPN, and your spouse says, what are you doing? You say, I'm waiting to hear from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) If I tried that, I would still be walking with a limp. College students, you've got roommates, right? Right? You've got days where you're supposed to do the dishes or do whatever. Imagine your roommate comes home, the dishes aren't done. You're taking your second nap of the day. I know you guys all take one nap at least. So I say second nap of the day. And they say, what are you doing? And you say, I'm waiting on the call of the Holy Spirit. No. Who told us it's okay to do that in the church? 
Who told us it's okay to sit around and do nothing? We've got responsibilities if we're part of a family. We've got responsibilities if we have roommates. We've got responsibilities as the body of Christ. And these are God-given responsibilities. As I mentioned before, I'm a physician assistant. Um, I've been working at Texas Orthopedics for the past eight and a half years. Ooh, Texas Orthopedics. My boss is Tyler Goldberg. He's here with us today. I think I've got a picture of him up here. Good dresser. Yeah. All right. He's a great boss. He's a great boss for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons he's a great boss is before I even started working for him, he let me know what I was expected to do. Right? He said, Jared, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I expect from you. This is your role in this job, in our relationship. This is the quality of care that we provide for patients. This is where we're leading into the future. And this is what I expect you to do day in and day out. Now someday, so I don't wake up in the morning and call Tyler first thing every day and say, hey, I'm up. What do I do today? No, I know what to do. I know what's expected of me. Sometimes he'll call me and he'll say, hey, I've got a particular patient that I need you to care for this way. Or hey, there's been an advancement in medicine and we're gonna change what we do. But until then, I know what to do while I'm waiting to hear what to do. (laughs) Guess what? We serve a great God. We know who he is. We know what he's about. We know our role in the body of Christ. He gives us commands, not good ideas, not suggestions, commands for each and every one of us. We know what to do while we're waiting to hear what to do. One of those commands that Devin and I have always taken very seriously comes from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Right? The pretty good idea? No. It's called the Great Commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, I wasn't called to world missions on that first mission trip. But I knew my role in the body of Christ. And as I was becoming an active part of the body of Christ and actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody sat us down from the church, took us out to lunch. That's what the church does. They either take you out to lunch or they buy coffee. Kind of depends on how much budget they have. But that's, that's their two go-to things. If somebody's going to take you out to lunch and they're from the church, they're going to ask you to do something. <laughs> they took us out to lunch. <laughs> And he said, hey, I'm putting together a group of people. You don't know anybody on this group. And I want you to join this group and go to Puebla, Mexico and help plant a church. Right? I'm a new believer at the time. So I did what anybody would do. I looked at him like he had a horn growing out of his head. And I said, no way. But then Devin says, Juju, we're going. She calls me Juju. That's short for Juju be love muffin. Don't be jealous. She said, we're going on this trip. So I thought about it and I said, yeah. I said, you know what? We're not actively sharing our faith. We're not sharing our testimony. We're not sharing the gospel. What better way to train ourselves for this than to prepare to go on a trip where we're going to be doing it all day, every day, right? And it was on this trip while we were worshiping God and ministering the Lord with other believers that we both felt the call to world missions. 
Now, we don't know exactly when or exactly where he's going to have us serve in this capacity, but we're not sitting by idly waiting to hear. We're actively involved in ministry, and we're actively pursuing the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you can put um, chapter 13, verses 1 through 4 back up, I want to look at the next main point. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart me for a bondage and call, Saul, for the work I've called them to. Then after they'd fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is how we see the church's response to the calling of the Holy Spirit. The church responded to the Holy Spirit by sending them off. What you don't see here is the church saying, well, Saul's a new convert. He, we probably need to disciple him up a little bit before he's ready to go. It doesn't say, well, Barnabas, he led a community group. We need, to, we need to train somebody up to fill his spot before he can go. It doesn't say, oh, we're not prepared financially, so we're going to have a fundraising campaign for eight to ten months before we send them off. No. They fasted, they prayed, they laid hands on them, they sought verification from the Holy Spirit, and they sent them out. You see, Saul and Barnabas were fully prepared for when they would be called. And the church was fully prepared to send them off. This is a wonderful picture of the church doing things right. They had taken the time to fully equip Barnabas and Saul for the day they would be called to the Holy Spirit. And they were spending time building up men and women to fill their vacancy after they left. This is simply called discipleship. So Devin and I, we're, we still don't know exactly when and where we're going, but we're preparing ourselves to be fully equipped missionaries of God. And God has opened many doors for that to happen. Four and a half years ago, um, we were sitting in our church and we were happy and we were active and we loved it. And we found ourselves having lunch. There it is, the lunch again. We should have saw that coming. With Charlie and Amanda Turner talking about starting a church plant in Georgetown, Texas. Two and a half years ago, I was given the opportunity to lead as an elder of this church. Just a few months ago, God gave me the opportunity to join a team of men and women to start a missions program here. You see, God doesn't say, I'm preparing you for something, but I'm not going to prepare you for it. I'm going to expect you to do all the work. God has set a path for us to help us prepare for that day that we go. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says that we're to go and make disciples, but in order for us to be disciples... In order for us to make disciples, we need to be disciples. Devin and I have grown in our faith while we've been here, and we've grown in our spiritual maturity while we've been here. Most of that has happened through discipleship, either by discipling or being discipled by others, many of you here today. The leadership of River Rock understands the importance of that. Our whole focus for this next year is discipleship. And we've got many opportunities for that to happen by serving in a ministry team, by joining a community group. There are men's and women's discipleship groups that meet throughout the week. Personal relationships with those around you that lead to discipleship. But it needs the commitment and the involvement from each and every one of you. Ask yourselves this. Am I prepared to go should God call me? Am I helping the church be prepared to send by either discipling those up that are around me or by giving faithfully so the church is financially prepared to send them? 
Am I praying for those who will be called to go and for those who will hear? Saying goes, some go, some send, all pray. So I'm going to summarize uh, the rest of chapter 13 quick, and then we're going to jump into the beginning of chapter 14. So Barnabas and Saul, they head out on their missionary journey, and they end up in Cyprus. Here they run into a proconsul, and he wants to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they also run into this guy named Bar-Jesus, and he's a sorcerer, and he's a false prophet. And so he starts saying, what these guys are telling are lies, and Saul rebukes him and he goes blind by the power of the Holy Spirit and the proconsul is so amazed by the power of God that he puts his trust in Jesus Christ. Then they head off to Antioch and Pisidia. It's a different Antioch from the church in Antioch. There were a lot of Antiochs out there that day and they are invited to preach in the synagogues in front of a large crowd. Saul and Barnabas preach boldly from the word of God and the people there are so excited that they invite them back next week And almost the whole town shows up to hear Saul and Barnabas preach from the word of God. And they preach again boldly. And many Jews and Gentiles put their trust in Jesus Christ. But some of the Jews become jealous and they persecute Barnabas and Saul and they kick him out of town. Barnabas and Saul respond by shaking the dust off their sandals and they head to Iconium. And that's where we're going to pick up. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. And that's my final point. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. You see, world missions, the calling comes from God. We see how the church had prepared them to go. We see how Barnabas and Saul had responded by going and the church responded by sending them. And now this is the Holy Spirit again who goes with them. He doesn't say, hey, I've called you out on this. Good luck. Hope you have a good time. No, the Holy Spirit is right there with them. They speak boldly from the word of God. They stand up in the synagogues and they preach. And people put their trust in Christ just simply by hearing this. They perform miraculous signs through the power of the Holy Spirit. They lay hands on people and they heal them. I haven't seen anybody today that has the power to physically heal somebody by laying on of hands. But we still have the same power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still displayed in our lives. He's displayed by the transformation of our lives through relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is displayed in our, in our lives by the way we love our husbands and love our wives, by the way we give and serve selflessly, by the higher standard that we hold ourselves to when we go to school and we go to work. You see, we're empowered by the same Holy Spirit and the same word of God that Paul and Barnabas were. Are we tapping into that power? Are we paralyzed by fear, by busyness, apathy? Do we let past failures stop us from moving forward? There's a phrase that I've heard many times. It says, there's no safer place to be than inside the will of God. It's good. It gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Is it true? No. How many examples in the Bible have you seen of God 
calling faithful men and women into the hands of danger. You see it in Barnabas and Saul. They weren't perfect. They saw many successes, but it wasn't all success. Right? They were thrown from towns. They were worshipped as gods. They were stoned. But they didn't let it stop them. They kept moving forward. They rejoiced in the face of persecution because they understood they were delivering a message that contained the power to raise people from the dead. We have that same message. We're empowered by the same Holy Spirit. We have that same word of God. Here at River Rock Bible Church, our vision is to see lives changed through relationship with Jesus Christ. We're committed to seeing lives changed right here in Georgetown, Texas. But it doesn't end here. It can't end here. Acts 1 verse 8 says, And you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the church in Jerusalem, they did an amazing job of focusing on their church in Jerusalem. They created the first mega church. It's the model of how church is supposed to look today. But maybe they forgot, they got so focused on their Jerusalem that they forgot about the ends of the earth. You see what happens. Stephen gets martyred. The church is persecuted. The believers are scattered throughout the land. I see that as God giving world missions a jump start. Georgetown, Texas is our Jerusalem. Our community is our primary ministry focus. But we can't forget about the ends of the earth. I'm going to end with one final quote. Um, I don't know where it came from. It says, missions is not the ministry of a few hyperactive Christians in the church. Missions is the purpose of the church. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're given a new life. Now life has a purpose. That life has a mission. That mission extends to the ends of the earth. How many missionaries do we have with us today? All right. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart for this world, a world that is broken and sinful. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that breaks into our lives to give us direction, God. And we pray that we, as believers, are actively seeking the call of your Holy Spirit for direction in our lives. We pray that we are actively preparing ourselves for when we will be called. We pray that as a church, we are taking the time to build one another up for that day. God, we love you. We pray that we will serve you well. We pray that we listen to your call and we will follow obediently. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.